0: This chapter brings to an end the first section in the book of Genesis. Genesis 1-11 tells the story of God and the world. Genesis chapters 12-50 to tell the story of God and the family of Abraham. So chapter 11 can be understood, in a sense, as the last chapter of the first book. The story comes to an end with a bit of a thud. You will remember that God told Noah and his sons in Genesis 9-1 to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So, they're supposed to be spreading out, having families, filling the world, and obeying the word of the Lord. (laughs) But that isn't what they have in mind. Mankind begins to trust in their technological capacities. And they begin to envision great schemes and projects that will bring them glory, security, and fame. Now, those are not bad things in and of themselves. But when you pursue those things in direct rebellion against the clear word of God, you are destined for failure and frustration. And so it goes in chapter 11. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. Let's just stop there to note that the Bible says that in the future, in the renewed kingdom of God, we will have that again. Zephaniah 3.9 says... For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So God is not opposed per se to a unified language. In fact, he promises that there will be a unified language again in the future, but it will only come after sin and rebellion have been finally and forever put away. In fact, I don't think that there is any doubt, but that we should see the miracle of the gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament as a foreshadowing of that day. On that day, the day of Pentecost, one gospel was preached in many languages. The gospel is right now bringing people back together. It is making a new family out of every tribe, tongue, and family on the earth. But that's obviously a story For another day. This story goes on to say in verse 2 And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Well, let's pause and remember that God told them to disperse over the face of the whole earth. So this project is proposed as an alternative to obeying the word of God. God is not opposed to brick buildings per se. He is opposed to you doing anything if he has just told you to do something else. So this is not about God opposing technology. This is about God opposing rebellion, which he does fairly consistently over the course of the Bible. Now, it is interesting to note, however, that technological advancement makes human beings bolder in their rebellion. I think that's certainly true. We feel a little more secure and we feel a little more stable and we take a little more pride in our capacity and we start thinking that maybe we don't really need to pay attention to the word of the Lord. We see that starting here. It has ever been thus, science and technology are always mixed blessings. They can improve our quality of life, but they can also make us proud, self-sufficient, and they can embolden us in our rebellion against the word of the Lord. Verse five goes on to say, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their speech so that they may not understand one another's speech. Now, in the time between the fall and the restoration of all things, we observe God doing a number of different things to restrain the spread and effect of human evil. We saw God withholding the tree of life in chapter 3. Can you imagine how much damage human beings could do if they lived for a thousand years? Imagine what the world would be like if Hitler was still alive. There is just no question that a reasonable lifespan does a great deal to limit the amount of damage that human beings can do on the earth. Now, we also saw the introduction of law and punishment in chapter 9, and we talked about binding oaths and obligations as well. All of those things are intended to to box us in, you might say, or, or to restrain our natural lean into sin, wickedness, and rebellion. Well, here we see another of those things that God does. Here we see God limiting our ability to network and collaborate. I love what Derek Kidner says here. He says, it makes it clear that unity and peace are not ultimate goods. (laughs) Better division than collective apostasy. That's a good word, my friends. Sometimes Christians speak about unity as if it were an absolute good, but it's not. In fact, sometimes unity is part of the problem. And if you have kids, you know that. Sometimes you have to separate them to limit the amount of stupid and sinful that goes on in your house. Okay, so it is here. Verse 8, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. God is a wise father, and he knows how to limit our mischief and how to get us moving about our proper business. Matthew Henry says here, See the necessity of God's judgments upon earth to keep the world in some order and to tie the hands of those that will not be checked by law. Verse 10 goes on to say, These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old he fathered Arpachshad 2 years after the flood and Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters When Arpachshad had lived 35 years he fathered Shelah and Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters When Shelah had lived 30 years he fathered Eber and Sheila lived after he fathered Eber, 403 years, and had other sons and daughters. Now, there's a couple things we should notice here. Just First of all, also notice the the scaling down of the human lifespans. Notice that people are having children now earlier, at times we can almost relate to. We've got people having kids at 35 years and at 30 years old. Well, that's almost like how we do it now. Whereas, you know, earlier in the book of Genesis, we were seeing people not having kids until they were very old and then living incredibly long amounts of time. Well, we can see here the shrinking of the lifespans almost down to what we would experience now. The other thing I want you to notice is that what we're reading here is a zoomed in version of the genealogy we had in chapter 10. But now the focus is squarely on the family of interest. This this is, this is the line that's going to take us to Abraham. All right, verse 6 goes on to say, When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Pelig. And Eber lived after he fathered Pelig 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Pelig had lived 30 years, hear that again, 30 years, he fathered Ryu. And Pelig lived after he fathered Ryu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ryu had lived 32 years, he fathered Sareg. Reu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sirig had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Serug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, we have arrived here at the family of God's special interest and care. From this point on, the story zooms in to one family out of all the families of the earth. God will work his redemptive purpose through the family of Abram. Verse 27 says, Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Let's stop here and notice that. The story of Abraham is used in the Bible to teach us about God and about us and about how God saves us through the person and work of Christ. But as part of that, it means to illustrate for us the nature and life of faith. Abraham is often called the father of faith. And so almost everything about his story intends to illustrate and amplify the reality in the life of faith. So it's very important for us to see that Abraham's wife, Sarai, was barren. So here is lesson one about faith. Faith means believing in the promise of God despite evidence and experience which would seem to contradict it. God will promise to Abraham that he will become a great nation and the father of nations, but his wife is old and barren. So to believe that promise, Abraham will have to believe the word of God over everything else he thinks he knows about life. That is faith. Verse 31 says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, and his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, if you put all the versions of this story about this family together, because, of course, this is the family of interest, so we get versions of the story retold throughout the Bible. If you put them all together, this one, the one we got in Acts 7, the one we have in Hebrews 11, it seems that Terah left Ur because his son, Abram, had received the call of God that we're going to hear about in the next chapter. But Terah didn't have the faith to persist in that journey, and he gave it up. When they, it says when they came to Haran, they settled there. Well, they had set out for Canaan. Why did they settle here? Right? Haran, or, or Terah started but didn't finish. And it wasn't until after his father died that Abraham went all the way. Derek Kidner puts it this way. He says, Terah, lacking the vision, lost the will to persist. In Hebrews 11, 9 and 10, the lesson is drawn that only faith will persist. Stay the course. So here is our second lesson on the nature of faith from the family of Abraham. Real faith perseveres. Real faith finishes the journey. Many are those who start out, but Jesus says, Only the one who endures to the end will be saved. Old Testament and new, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into of the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for In of the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the End of the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at IntoTheWord.ca. Just click on the Give tab and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the Fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach.